Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. UBS is planning to cut more than half of Credit Suisse's workforce starting next month. It's a result of UBS's emergency takeover of the Swiss bank. We hear bankers, traders, and support staff in Swiss's investment bank are expected to bear the brunt of the cuts with almost all activities at risk. And this will impact workers in London, in New York, and also in parts of Asia. More from Bloomberg's Shanali Basak. Credit Suisse had a massive investment bank with a risk tolerance that was not quite the same at UBS. So it'll be interesting to see what the new combined entity seeks to do in the market. But it's very sensible that both in a downturn in the markets relative to a very big boom cycle, as well as a ton of overlap. And then you add in any attrition that you also might get on the heels of any potential overlap that there is when it comes to Credit Suisse and UBS staff. It's certainly a lot of jobs about to hit the market. We're told staffers have been told to expect three rounds of cuts this year. The first is expected by the end of July, and then two more rounds are tentatively planned for September and October. UBS has said it will save about $6 billion in staff costs in the coming years. Stateside regulators are overhauling rules on reviewing mergers. This is happening for the first time in 45 years. We have more on that from Bloomberg's Ann Cates. The revamp of the Hart-Scott-Rodino process could add two to three months to the timetable for corporate deals. The proposed changes by the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department would require details about any acquisitions during the previous 10 years, plus information about company officers, directors, and board observers, in addition to workforce data. The FTC estimates the new regulations laid out in the 126-page document would add more than 100 hours to the time it takes firms to prepare their merger filings. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Well, as Doug mentioned earlier, a flurry of economic data showed surprising strength in several corners of the U.S. economy. And this may keep trader fears of a recession at bay. We get more from Bloomberg's Ira Jersey. The data that we've seen clearly suggests that the Federal Reserve might be able to hike again, certainly one more time. Uh, you know, whether or not they do two, I think, is, is going to be very dependent on the path of the economy for the third quarter. But yeah, the, the, the data is good. I mean, durable goods were, were strong. Confidence was good. Housing sales for May were, were pretty good. So you still see, overall, an economy that hasn't yet rolled over. The surprising strength of the economic data comes on the heels of Fed Chair Jay Powell's recent testimony on Capitol Hill. He emphasized that the Fed is likely to resume tightening monetary policy after holding steady at this this past month's meeting, the meeting earlier this month. Powell may reinforce that hawkish message on Wednesday as he and other central bankers convene at an ECB forum in Europe. Well, speaking of the ECB, we had the president of the European Central Bank putting the markets on notice today. Christine 
Lagarde said the ECB probably won't be able to declare an end to its historic cycle of interest rate hikes anytime soon. And she told an ECB forum today that a more persistent policy is needed to tackle inflation. It is unlikely that in the near future, the central bank will be able to state with full confidence that the peak rates have indeed been reached. Bearing a material change to our expectations for inflation, we will continue to increase rates in July. Now, Lagarde went on to say that interest rates will stay at elevated levels for as long as necessary, and this will allow more time for the full impact of those past actions to materialize. Separately today, a member of the Governing Council, this is Bosjan Vasle, was saying that hikes will need to continue if inflation proves to be more stubborn than is currently expected. Brian? And those hawkish comments, uh, particularly from Lagarde, definitely led to strength in the euro. The euro trading at a dollar nine sixty-two. The dollar generally weaker. The yen was was weaker as well. Dollar yen here one forty-four oh four. Well, Hungary has warned that de-risking from China would be brutal suicide for European countries. Bloomberg's Joanne Wong has the story from Hong Kong. Hungary's Foreign Minister Peter Siardo said de-risking supply chains from China would be devastating. He spoke at the World Economic Forum in Tianjin, China. Earlier, Chinese Premier Li Chang said governments attempting to politicize their economies would only cause confrontation. Li called for countries to work together to keep global industrial and supply chains stable. Hungary is one of Europe's biggest China supporters. It has become a key site for Chinese investment. In the past year alone, China invested in an $8 billion battery factory in Hungary is the largest single investment in the country ever. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. Rish will join us in a few moments. Uh, so we have like forever to talk about uh, these comments from the Chinese premier and the response by Hungary and the response that we might see from other countries, Doug. I mean, four hours is almost forever in terms of <laughs> broadcasting. But I wanted to start off with, you know, the, the economic data that you featured in the data check and that we mentioned as well. And you have to think about this. It's it's a little bit of, of a flip of what we thought might happen. But in some ways, the long period of low interest rates actually allowed people to term out their loans so that a, a, a hike in interest rates, a rise in interest rates, just didn't eventually have the negative impact that we were so sure it would have. We thought uh, people will have taken so many loans at such low interest rates and, and they'll be overwhelmed by the hike in interest rates. But it turns out that people actually are pretty well positioned and they're not responding the way that the Fed and others thought. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Particularly when you look at the configuration of the yield curve, is inverted as it is, it's been telegraphing recession for such a long time, it seems like, and it's really not played out yet. And another thing that I think is very interesting, there's a model from Bloomberg Intelligence. It's known as the Market Regime Index. This is signaling brighter times ahead for the equity market. It basically clusters periods into three phases, one of accelerated growth, another for moderate growth, and another, a third for declining growth. So we've flipped out the declining phase after 15 straight months, and we've moved into moderate growth. So I think maybe the term soft landing applies. Who knows? Yeah, Russell 2000 up one and a half percent today. So it wasn't a day where it was only tech. Tech did have uh, a lot of muscle with 
with the NASDAQ 100 almost up 2% uh, and the NASDAQ composite up 1.7%. But then when you see a gain like that, 1.5% for small caps, uh, pretty good. I have to say this, you know, looking for interesting lines every day. On the Republican campaign trail, the line of the day was from Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. When asked about Uyghurs in Xinjiang, he said, what's a Uyghur? Mm. He later tweeted that he did not recognize the pronunciation used by Hugh Hewitt, who had been the person who'd asked him about it. But it's a little embarrassing, and it's it's a little telling that still a lot of candidates are not so familiar with China while still being very critical of it. It's one of the points that uh, companies have made when they talk about decoupling. I'm going to use that term, right? Human rights violations, that certainly is uh, an important issue for Western companies. And it makes sense to kind of focus on story in, in Xinjiang when, when you're talking about those developments. Yeah, and it's funny that we got those comments from Li Chiang saying, you know, warning countries uh, as well as companies uh, that de-risking from China, you know, could be disaster. And uh, and actually, the Hungarian foreign minister weighed in sort of in agreement with China. And up, I imagine that over the next uh, couple of days, we'll be getting response from a lot of countries on these types of comments. Uh, uh, deglobalization, de-risking, bad for the world. China says, uh, stay with us. Now it's time for Global News. All right, the time is about 11 minutes past the hour. Uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin arrives in Belarus, and we get the latest on this, the reaction from all sides from Dan Schwartzman in New York. Dan. Yeah, Brian, according to Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, Wagner mercenary group leader Prigozhin has flown into Belarus. Lukashenko negotiating a deal late on Saturday for Prigozhin to end his armed uprising and to remove his troops from Russia while exiling in Belarus. Russia's Federal Security Service saying earlier today that it had closed a criminal investigation into the Wagner group as part of Lukashenko's deal. The autocratic rule of Belarus says he told Prigozhin by phone that if he didn't stop his march towards Moscow, he would get crushed like a bug. Lukashenko also saying he urged Vladimir Putin to not kill Prigozhin. The Belarusian ruler also offering Wagner fighters an abandoned military base to use, but said the group could not set up recruitment offices in his country. U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller on Prigozhin exiling in Belarus. Everywhere that Wagner uh, goes, death and destruction follows in their wake. He has been a destabilizing agent. And so the decision by President Lukashenko to welcome uh, Prigozhin to Belarus, I think, is another example of him choosing the interests of Vladimir Putin and choosing the interests of the Kremlin over the interests of the Belarusian people. In a show of force, the U.S. is planning to send the Navy's largest nuclear submarine to South Korea for the first time in almost four decades. The Ohio-class sub is capable of staying submerged indefinitely and can fire nuclear warheads at targets thousands of miles away. The visit will be the first visible sign of an accord struck in April between the U.S. and the South, where the South agreed to not develop their own nuclear weapons while the U.S. will give them bigger say in a potential retaliatory strike on the North in the event of a nuclear attack. Former President Trump Trump was in New Hampshire speaking to the New Hampshire Federation of Republican Women's Lavender Luncheon in Concord. Trump striking a defiant tone as he talked about the Justice Department and President Biden. The most important step in truly draining the swamp is to end the weaponization of the Justice Department and the abuse of law enforcement to stop political dissent. As you know, two weeks ago, crooked Joe Biden ordered his top political opponent arrested 
Oh, who is that opponent? Oh, it's me. Oh, <laughs> More smoke from the wildfires plaguing eastern Canada expected to create possible hazardous air conditions in New York City and the mid-Atlantic region starting on Wednesday. New York Governor Kathy Hochul saying New Yorkers should visit the Environmental Protection, Protection Agency's website airnow.gov to check for updates. Earlier this month, the city experienced the worst air quality in the world as thick haze settled over New York from those wildfires. Global News 24 hours a day powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Dan Schwartzman. This is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City. Cutter and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. I'm Brian Curtis here in Hong Kong, along with Rashad Salamat. Our guest is Xi Chow, financial advisor and managing director at UBS. Xi Chow, thanks very much for coming on the program. So let's take a look at the markets first. There's a lot of money that is parked in short-term treasuries and also in money market funds. We've seen it come down just a little in money market funds. It appears that this money is itching now to enjoy the gains that we've seen in the equity market. It's only a blip so far. But could it be a force? And I ask that to someone who's actually postured pretty defensively in markets. Absolutely. I mean, there's just a lot, still a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. And, uh, you know, investors are just very cautious. It has, has been all cautious, very cautious all year of getting into the markets because uh, it's just not sure of Fed policies uh, when the hikes will be over or when will be pa- uh, when it will pause. But looking at you know, the, the S&P, I mean, very strong, um, still very resilient even today, even with the more hawkish tone that rates might go up a little bit more towards the end of the year. But, um, you know, some of that cash is going to be coming out of of, uh, of the uh, U.S., some of the U.S. treasuries and, and put to work. Uh, but, you know, we're investors are just very cautious and looking for those opportunities to get get invested. Uh, Okay, with a Nasdaq up already nearly thirty percent, Nasdaq one hundred even more so. Uh, it's uh, probably a fool's errand to be trying to chase this rally, though. Surely. Yes, um, I mean, you know, the prospects are are looking good for for most investors, especially with how resilient this um, economy has been and the markets has been all year. Um, I mean, we think investors should look to rebalance U.S. equity exposure. Just as you mentioned, um, tech has had a very strong run this year. And, and look towards more of the attractively valued areas, um, defensive, um, some of the, you know, uh, tilting and just kind of tilting away from technology and towards more lagging sectors such as consumer stables and industrial and even looking outside of the U.S. into emerging markets and in some other uh, international markets that were, are probably a little bit more attractively valued than the U.S. at this point. 
When I listen to some of your conviction calls uh, and and review them, uh, I find it interesting because there's a lot of defensiveness, which we already mentioned, but there's also, uh, you know, some pretty strong offensive moves, too. I mean, you like artificial intelligence, big data, and cybersecurity, and you prefer Chinese equities within Asia, which, I mean, to be honest, that hasn't been the place to be in the first half of the year. That doesn't mean it won't be in the second half, but if you think it will be a good place to be in the second half of the year. Tell me why. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um, Chinese-linked investments have lagged on growth and uh, geopolitics in the first half, for sure. I mean, but we hope that, you know, because China is just such a strong economy, just as the U.S., both very, very important. Um, We hope in the second half, uh, you know, with stronger internal consumption uh, as China's coming out of the pandemic, one of the last to come out of the pandemic, um, and stronger earnings, um, and hopefully more geopolitical clarity, uh, that should support Chinese stocks in the second half. And we do expect that China's economy to grow around 5.5% this year, uh, but that's all going to be tense if we get that clarity uh, in the second half. Well, clarity aside, it's going to need some sort of catalyst because it's uh, fast got that, uh, it can't shake off the uninvestable uh, tag that uh, Chinese equities have at the moment. What other catalysts could there be? I mean, it's just, uh, I think a lot of the catalyst would be uh, just the U.S. and China relations. I mean, this is a very big part of what yeah. a lot of the, the uh, talk is about, right? So uh, once we have more clarity on that, uh, I think China has a just a huge economy. It's hard to miss. And hopefully some of that will start to come back in the second half and, and some of the lagging investments in China, in, in, in the Internet, e-commerce and all the different, including the property markets, will start to come back a little bit. So we had this big speech from the Premier Li Chiang yesterday, and of course a lot of people have focused on the comments that he made about deglobalization and de-risking, kind of scolding countries that you shouldn't be doing this because it will be very bad for um, you know global relations. Uh, but there, there were some other angles that uh, quite a few commentators picked up on. One was he was pretty confident about growth coming back in China, so that probably was music to yours. If you got a chance to review some of those key comments from Li Chung, share them with us. Yeah, um, I mean, I think in general, I mean, we, 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 it's not just China. I mean, we definitely prefer Chinese equities within our Asia strategy. But regardless of what happens with China, I mean, we want to focus on uh, in Asia in general and, and also the surrounding economies around China, you know, some of the Southeast and Asian countries. Uh, uh, Korea, I mean, there's a lot of countries around China will be listed if China starts to recover. Um, and again, a lot of that will have to be when China does have stronger consumption and earnings. All right. So, I mean, the thing is, there's been a market shift, though, if we look at uh, a particular fixed income market and uh, various options as well now, where um, people are no longer in any uh, significant form, just as they were a mere three weeks ago, thinking they're going to be uh, rate cuts by the end of the year. They're firmly kind of getting the, uh, the Federal Reserve's message. I'm sorry, darling, back to the Fed. Um, and do you believe do you buy into this uh, new narrative that this is the way it's going to be? We're going to be on a, a tight monetary policy for longer. Yes, I think it will be tighter for a little longer. Rates will stay a little high. I mean, 
Um, you know, the Fed, uh, the Fed's hawkish tone is not surprising. Uh, we are expecting probably two more quarter point rate hikes. Um, and I think it's just, you know, the Fed is trying to balance the battle with inflation, right, against the risk to the economic growth and, uh, and financial stability. So, uh, you know, expecting rates probably not to go too much higher, but we are going to have higher rates for a little longer. Yeah, just for fun, we have a minute, so very short answer. Have you not bought anything recently because interest rates have gone up in your, pers- in your personal life? In your personal life, I mean, like a house or a car. Have you not bought anything that because rates went up? I mean, I would say yes. I mean, it's definitely. <laughs> That's, okay. It's, it's a little uh, harder when rates are a little more expensive. Okay. Yes. I was going to ask Rish. Rish, have you not bought anything recently because of high interest rates? Um, I no. never buy anything. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, I haven't really changed my behavior. I have to say I've been living my life uh, basically the same. Rates going up haven't affected me that much. It's maybe uh, made your, you know, adjusting your investment profile a little bit. Uh, I just like to ask that question to people because I think a lot of people think that rates going up has really flummoxed a lot of people. But, you know, that's two out of three. That's not bad. Not that big a deal. Xi Chow, out of time, unfortunately. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Xi Chow, financial advisor and managing director at UBS. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.